begin in verse 1, just so we have context from where we were last week. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The Word of God for the people of God. What are you good at? I'll give you a moment to think. What's something that you really excel at? Maybe you're undefeated in checkers. Uh, Maybe you, you cook better than anyone you know. Something. Think about it. What are you good at? Got it? Okay, now imagine for a moment you see or learn of, well, an opening for a job as fighter pilot. Let's assume the thing you're not good at or that you're really good at is not being a fighter pilot. But let's see, let's say it is checkers and and you are really good at checkers and you learn of an opening as a position fighter pilot and somehow you get an interview. And the interviewer says, Tell me about yourself and your, your experience flying. And you say to him, I am undefeated seven years in a row in checkers. My question for you is, what do you think he's going to say? You think he's going to say, great, great, let's get you in that cockpit. Let's see how you do. When you get there, what's going to happen? Nothing. You're going to fail out. You will not be able to do anything. When, when you get in that cockpit, what, will, what advantage will it be that you are undefeated in checkers? None. That's what you're getting in this text. The Apostle Paul has been dealing with those who have been saying this, listen, listen, it's great that you have Jesus. We, we trust Him too, but we We're really righteous because we have been circumcised. And now Paul is bringing this home to us to say that circumcision is 
of no advantage. It's just like claiming checkers and trying to find, fly a fighter pilot or a fighter jet. It does nothing. Paul out so those who would say that I'm circumcised or or any other claim of righteousness that you might have. Well, you know, I've really not sinned like those people over there. I've kept myself clean. I am doing okay. You know, I was brought up. Any way in the work of your hands, just like checkers don't qualify you to fly a plane, so neither does circumcision or any attempt at righteousness in your own stead makes you a Christian. That's what he's setting out before us here. We've used this before. It's from Jonathan Edwards. The only thing that you contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And the Apostle Paul is going to push that into us and to bring that home to us that we might have hope in Christ. And that's what this text is here to show us. Showing us that saving faith is faith that gives up hope of righteousness in anything other than Christ and casts itself on Christ alone. Saving faith is faith that gives up hope in anything other than the righteousness of Christ and casts itself on Christ alone. Paul's going to demonstrate that in, in two points. This morning we're going to see it that, that unbelievers presume reasons for confidence in, in the flesh. Or, that's the first point, presumed reasons for confidence in the flesh. And secondly, he's going to show us that believers have reasons for renouncing confidence in the flesh. So, presumed reasons for confidence in the flesh, renouncing, reasons for renouncing confidence in the flesh. So, what are those presumed reasons? Well, remember what he's doing. He has just told us, verse 3, well, he is, he's warned us about the Judaizers in verse 2. Verse 3, he tells us this, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Those, those dogs, as he called them, those mutilators of the flesh, those, those, uh, those evil doers, evil workers... What were they doing? They were appealing to their Jewish credentials. They were, they were most likely proselytes of Judaism and then to Christianity. And so then Paul is going to drive home this very picture to us that unless they repented of this, they, they were Christian only in name but not in substance. And Paul is countering them before they get to Philippi. Remember, he said, I'm sending you Timothy and I'm sending you Epaphroditus, but there are those who are not sent and they are on their way. And now he is getting to the heart of what they're going to come and say. What do they say? Well, Paul is going to use his own life as a way to counter them. He says what at the beginning of verse 4? Though... I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. 
What's he doing here? He's saying, listen, if you could be saved by your righteous deeds, let me tell you something, you're not like I am. If you could be saved by doing something great for the Lord, let me tell you, you have nothing that you can claim like I can claim it. He's going to give us four things. He's going to give us He's going to give us four things that were inherited. And He's going to give us three things that He did that He worked at. What are those things that He said that He inherited? He says this, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Those that are coming to you, they're, they're not like I, I was. I was circumcised on the eighth day in keeping with the law. Just like Isaac was, I was circumcised on the eighth day. These guys have only been brought in lately. They were circumcised after they were adults and professed faith in Christ. They've added that to them. They were not like me. They were second rate in their circumcision. I was the real deal. And then what does he say? He says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. He wasn't a convert. He wasn't a God-fearer who was a convert to Judaism. No, no, he was brought up. He has an inheritance in the people of Israel. He was the real deal, not, not this second class that's coming in. And then he goes a step further, and what does he say? Of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, what do you know about them? The very first king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin. He... He is such he has such a pedigree that he's inherited. He has such a claim on being an Israelite indeed. He absolutely knows his his lineage all the way back to the tribe of Benjamin. Not everyone could do that. They couldn't track themselves back. We just read Nehemiah 7 a couple of Wednesdays ago. There were those brought in after they came out of exile in Babylon. They couldn't find their names. But he knows his all the way back lineage. He was one of the big three. Knows his name all the way back. He wasn't an Edomite or an Ishmaelite. And then he says what? Hebrew of Hebrews. What does that mean? Well, you know the Old Testament, Song of Songs. It's the way they express things in Hebrews. In, in the Hebrew language, it means the best. Right? So when you read Song of Songs, it means it's the best song. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's the best. He's already giving you his pedigree. Circumcised on the eighth day, he's of the people of Israel. He, he was of the tribe of Benjamin, and he is the best Hebrew that you can know. The Judaizers, those proselytes that came in, they have nothing on him. If anyone's going to have confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have it. I have more. There is no one who can out well who can out Hebrew me who can out uh, who can out follow God under that old system than I could. And so then he goes on to give us the ways that he earned it, didn't he? What does he say? As to the law, a Pharisee. Now he's already said, these are the ways that I was born into it. This is what I inherited, the inherited ways. Now let me tell you how I earned it, how I can boast this way. I was a Pharisee. You didn't get born to become a Pharisee. You had to choose it. 
you had to enter into a strict teaching. You had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Now, many of us are pretty proud of ourselves for memorizing a chapter. The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I inherited this. I, I did great by that, but now let me tell you how I can really drive at home. I was a Pharisee. He took that yoke upon himself in order to show his devotion to God. And, and not only that, he came from a line of Pharisees. His father and his father's father were. And not only that, he was of the strictest sect of the Pharisees. There, there was no one who knew more, who lived more holy, more righteous than he did. And he took that on himself. He didn't, earn, he didn't inherit that. He earned it. He was a Pharisee. And then he says what? He says something about a zeal. As to zeal, the persecutor of the church. These guys that are coming to you, they're talking, about, they're talking about how they really believe in Jesus because they've gone and gotten circumcised and so they really have the, the right understanding and so they're zealous about it. But let me tell you about my zeal. So that when I didn't know Christ and I was trusting in my righteousness, I was out persecuting the church. I was putting people to death, dragging them to prison. You don't have zeal for God like that. Most of us have enough zeal to get up 30 minutes early, have a cup of coffee, and try not to fall asleep. But Paul says, I had enough zeal that I was out dragging people out of their homes and arresting them for the sake of what I thought was right. And then what does he say? As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Blameless. He said, ask anyone who knew me. Ask them how I lived. Ask them what they knew about me. And they would tell you that I was the most upstanding, most well-versed, most, most pristine citizen that you would have ever seen. Nothing unclean ever touched my lips. I never went anywhere unclean. My feet only took me to places they were supposed to go. My eyes only looked at things they were supposed to look at. My hands only touched the things they were supposed to touch. I did everything so that no one could lay anything to my charge. He was a model Jew. To those who were looking on, he was a stellar example. And he looked the part in a quantifiable checklist sort of way. And if anyone God by their lineage or by their works, Paul could have. And what does he say? He says he couldn't. He says those things don't count here. It's not by an inherited means. And it's not by an earned means. And so the question for us before we move on to renouncing these things is what are you holding on to as grounds for confidence in the flesh? You, you, you come here, you know you're hearing about Jesus, you know that you're, you're seeing the gospel laid out in the table, you come week in and week out. Are you resting in any of those things 
Are you holding on to anything as a for confidence in the flesh that you that you've not sinned as big as some? Maybe you've given a lot of time and effort to the church and surely that's going to be it. You've been zealous to be here every time the doors are open. And if, and if people still gave out Sunday school pins and perfect attendance pins in church, you would have them dangling from your shoulder down to your toes. Are you resting in that? Perhaps you have other reasons. Perhaps it's the opposite. Maybe once you were a big sinner and everyone knew you were around or they knew how you were, what you were like, and all of a sudden your life has changed and you have some sort of... You no longer do as you once did. But are you resting in that? Because what Paul says that matters is this that we worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And so he gives us this, these presumed ways that we could have confidence in the flesh, presumed reasons, and then he's going to renounce them. Which is what he does in verse 7. But... You know, when you get that, it's a disjointed conjunction. We've talked about that before. You can disregard what's gone before. He's going to tell you that those things aren't going to count. But, whatever gain I had, inherited gain, listen, I was brought up a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, of the people of Israel, circumcised on the eighth day. I was that, whatever gain I had from that. I was a Pharisee, I was zealous, and I was blameless. Whatever gain I could have had in that, it's a loss. I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul is saying that his resume, his his pedigree are nothing. He's setting it straight and, and telling what any boasting in the flesh accounts for. He's beginning to make that turn. He's renouncing those those impressive things. Those seven things. Those are very impressive. And he says they're loss when it comes to being right with God. They're nothing. They're less than nothing. As a matter of fact, they are bankruptcy and not just bankruptcy. Having a debt so steep that they are like 10,000 talents. Never able to repay them. So what matters, Paul? What is it that's going to set things right? Whatever gain I had, counted as loss for the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ. Those things on his resume, seven things, he says, are nothing compared to this one thing. What is His surety, that's all of His grounds for going forward. The Judaizers are missing the point. They don't know that those things are worthless for standing before God. All of those things are, are one giant loss, and they're taking loss on loss by trying to rest in what they're doing. And Paul is going to tell them, 
He's going to tell them that nothing in our own righteousness will do for the sake of Christ. And then he goes on, doesn't he? Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Here's the thing. Here's what Paul is driving at as he is, as he is getting into this, as he is bringing us out of the stupor of thinking that we can inherit our way into heaven or we can work our way there. He's bringing us out of that and he is saying to us, all of that is nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Salvation isn't simply getting out of hell, it's knowing Jesus. Salvation isn't just having an easy life, it's knowing Christ. Paul is in prison and he says, every bit of knowing Jesus makes being prison nothing to me. He's been enduring lots of hardship. Go read Corinthians where he gives that list. Five times received the forty lashes less one, spent a night and day in the deep at danger on the road from his countrymen and from robbers. All of those things are worth it if it means he knows Christ. If he has... It's not a theoretical checklist. It's an intimate knowledge that Christ is inviting us to know Him, entering into that relationship with Him. Here's the question then. Is Christ everything to you? Is Jesus everything to you? It's easy to say, I know my righteousness My righteousness isn't going to get me there, and so I'll take a little Jesus for that. But is Jesus everything to you? So that with the psalmist you can say, Whom have I in heaven but you? And what do I have on earth that I desire besides you? Is Christ all of your hope for all of your life? Paul says it this way, I count everything as loss. And you could say it this way, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for His sake I have suffered the loss of all things. He really did. He had given up that glorious prestige of His inheritance and given up all that He had worked hard to attain in order that He might know Christ. And then he goes a step further. Not only has He given them up, but He considers them rubbish. Now we have a polite translation here. It is a polite word that, well, we have to stay polite with. But, but the word means, you've seen it translated dung. You've seen it translated other things. It's, it's that. It's not a nice word. There are children in here. And so I have to say, rubbish. But Paul and you ought to take with him the gravity, the seriousness, the weight of what he's trying to say to you. That everything is that compared to Christ. 
Everything that you might try to do in order to earn your righteousness is that compared to resting in Jesus. Everything else in this world is that compared to knowing Christ. Herbally. He's being dead serious. So that I may gain Christ. And he's setting it up this way so that he could say, even if you lose everything, you've lost nothing. If you have Christ, you have everything so that when you lose everything else, you've really lost nothing and your life is complete because you find Him to be your all. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Is He the treasure hidden in the field to you? Does He hold that sort of worth in your mind and in your heart that that you have heard who He is? We read it in chapter 2 and what He has done so that you are willing to give up everything in order to have this one thing. Is He the pearl of great price? So that hearing what He's done and who He is, you would be willing to get rid of everything to have that. That's what Paul is saying. He's just echoing Christ. The surpassing worth of having Christ is so great that everything else is scubalon. That's the word in Greek. Go type that in in Google. It'll fill you in. Rubbish. Dung compared to Jesus. No pedigree. No resume. Nothing compares with having Christ and being found in Him. This is, this is eschatological language here. This isn't just saying for here and now. This is saying for all time, at that day, everything is being found in Him. That is what makes it worth it. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. You must be in Him. There's no salvation outside of Him. You must be in Him. All of your hope in Him. You must rest on Him. He must be everything to you or He's nothing to you. Don't make the mistake of thinking, That you don't need righteousness in heaven or to get into heaven. You need it. Absolutely need it. But it's His. It's His righteousness. He says it right there. Not that which comes from the law. The law cannot save you. It condemns you. Don't rest in that pedigree. Don't rest in that resume. Rest in His righteousness. He freely gives it to you. Christ must be all to you. All your hope of salvation, all your treasure, all else must be rubbish. And if He isn't all to you, then He's nothing to you. Are you seeking righteousness with God? Are you seeking to be right with Him? 
the one who demands perfect righteousness by His holy nature? Are you seeking it by your own efforts, by your own doing, by your own pedigree? Let Paul disabuse you of that. Let Paul take that thought out of your hands. It wasn't by his pedigree. It didn't matter that he was circumcised on the eighth day. It didn't matter that he was of Israel. It didn't matter that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. It didn't matter that he was a, ben, uh, that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. It didn't matter that he was a Pharisee. It didn't matter that he was zealous. It didn't matter that he was blameless. Because all of that, Isaiah says, all of our righteous deeds, when we are trying to stack them up in order to stand before God, are as filthy rags. The only thing that matters is being found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends on faith. Trying to rest in your righteousness before God, you you may as well say to Him, Lord, I played checkers better than anyone else. It's not going to qualify you. What are you resting in this morning? Are you resting in Christ as He has offered to you in the Scriptures, that He would be all to you, all of your righteousness, all of your hope of salvation, all of your hope for eternity, or nothing to you. Renounce any pedigree or any resume that you might have and rest in Jesus. He's the only one with the right works and the right pedigree. Let's go to Him in prayer. Almighty God, let us never rest with any sort of confidence in the flesh, but let us always only look to Christ. Let us have all of our hope in Him that we might be those who worship by the Spirit, who glory in Christ, that we might have hope of eternal life. We ask this in His name and for His sake. Amen.